This episode is brought to you by GovX, and as you know, I only have companies on here that I truly use and believe in myself, and GovX is a complete no-brainer. If you are a member of fire, police, EMS, corrections, military, and even hospital setting doctors and nurses, you qualify for the free membership to GovX, which marries us with discounts from so many companies that you probably already use. And on top of that, it's not just for active duty, but also retirees, veterans, and volunteers. So for our professions, having to purchase so much of our equipment, every single dollar counts. And understanding that, GovX has reached out to you, the Behind the Shield podcast audience, to offer you an additional saving. On your first purchase of $50 or more, if you use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, they will give you an additional $15 off your first purchase. And another layer of GovX is GovX Gives Back. Every month they're going to sell a different patch and the proceeds from that patch goes to a charity that supports either first responders or military. So as I mentioned before, go to GovX.com, G-O-V-X.com, register for your free membership and save every single time you purchase. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company I've used personally for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And they are offering you, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount. Before I get to that, I want to highlight a couple of products. So footwear has been a big issue, and we all know that these heavy-duty work boots cause a lot of issues with joint health and fatigue. Listening to the responders in the field, the military in the field, 5.11 have reverse engineered and created some incredible footwear that is much more lightweight, just as durable, and minimizes both fatigue and damage to the joints. One of those is the Norris sneaker. I have a pair of those myself. They are incredible. And the other one is the AT trainer that has the Atlas system, which spreads the weight of the load over the entire foot, thus reducing fatigue and long-term damage. Aside from footwear, they have the backpacks. I have the AMP pack myself. Their civilian clothes, the jeans, the shorts, I absolutely live in these days. The flashlights are some of the brightest I've seen, and they last an incredibly long time on one charge. The list goes on and on. Now, because 5.11 cares about you, the tactical population, they are offering you a discount of 15% on every purchase that you make. So go to 5.11 Tactical, use the code SHIELD, S-H-I-E-L-D, and save 15% every time you shop. And if you want to learn even more about the company, listen to episode 338 with co-founder and CEO, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 394 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute pleasure to welcome on the show Dr. Theo Ballard. Now, Dr. Ballard is a board-certified orthopedic and sport clinical physical therapist who works with first responders, military personnel, and athletes. So we had an amazing conversation covering a spectrum of topics from screening and prevention through to the Green Berets Thor 3 program and everything in between. Before we get to this conversation, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single rating that you leave elevates this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, the audience, whether individually, organizationally. So all I ask is that you help pay it forward and share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said... I introduce to you, Dr. Theo Ballard. Enjoy.
So Theo, I want to start by saying thank you so much for reaching out and uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Beautiful. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today? So I'm in North Carolina, just outside of uh, Pinehurst. So it's a little rural kind of golf area. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I was sitting down to do this and I'm like, I don't think we ever made sure that we were in the same time zone. So I was hoping that you were in the Bragg area still. No idea. We're good, man. My heart's in... <laughs> My heart is in uh, St. Augustine, but physically, yeah, we're in we're in North Carolina. St. Augustine, <laughs> Florida. Yeah, that's where I met my wife, and yeah, we, we love it down there. Oh, beautiful! I'm only I'm only uh, like an hour and a half, an hour and forty five minutes from there. We're actually going to go there in uh, about three weeks for our little mini staycation. Oh yeah, man! You got to hit up Mango Mangos. That's the restaurant. Yeah, it's gorgeous there. Absolutely gorgeous. All right, well then, I love to start chronologically at the beginning. So tell me where you were born and then your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Yeah, so I was born born and raised in, like right outside of um, Baltimore, Maryland. My mom was a school teacher. My father was a uh, Maryland State Police, you know, first responder his whole career. And uh, I was the youngest of two. So I have an older brother. He's three years older. Brilliant. All right, and then... Um, at that young age, were you a sportsman back then? Were you into exercise? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, looking back, I think my parents did a really good job of of exposing us to as much as possible and giving us the opportunity to, to participate in sports. And you know, some of these um, higher level teams, like you have to travel quite a bit. And my father would always make time. And baseball and soccer were huge. Uh, I, I unfortunately didn't have any major injuries during that time. I think. Um, you know, we played enough sports to, to keep our bodies moving in different directions. So yeah, I grew up and played through, uh, up into college, a little bit of baseball and soccer, but, you know, was always trying to, um, kind of stay moving. Fitness was always interesting to me. And, and I think it, you know, definitely worked out becoming a physio. Brilliant. Well, staying on that subject for a moment, that's something I've discussed with a few of the, the, the coaches I've ever had on here. A common denominator seems to be that the multi-sport athletes seem to, um, create a lot more longevity and, and less injury in their professional careers than the ones that just stayed, you know, just banging on that same sport, that same kind of movement pattern. Is that something that you've seen not only as a child yourself, but since you got into this field? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just, you think of like, I mean, I like to use NASCAR as an analogy, like going around that track repeatedly, it's the same direction. And you know, what, what happens? Like there's, there's just wear and tear on the wheels, the, like everything, the chassis. So if you if you force, especially when it's forced, but you see so many kids and and like baseball, they've, they've caught that now. We understand having these young kids throw throw junk pitches and throw like X amount of pitches per week, month like that. That adds up. Um, the biggest thing we saw was lacrosse. So lacrosse was, was uh, huge in Maryland, especially for females. And you would see these parents just force feeding these kids like they would have to go to these clubs and these tryouts. And, you know, they're 10, 10, 11, 12. And every every showcase is the, the one, you know, like here are these scouts, like this is the one you have to go and you see it, like the kids break down, they have these injuries. Um, it's unfortunate because, you know, like, the kids are just trying to have fun. You, you can kind of tell it starts to deteriorate as the years go on. But yeah, when you look at sports, I think such as soccer, um, multi-direction, you know, rugby, I think is a great example. Like it's, it's, it's more physical, obviously. So there's, there's higher risk of injury, but when you take an athlete and you can create them, um, you know, turn them into these like multi-direction athletes. They can they can cut, they can change direction, they can accelerate, decelerate. I think that carries over into everything. So uh, I, I mean, I always look back to soccer. It wasn't my sport of choice. I, I really love baseball, but I feel like I was most athletic and I was most fit when we were playing different types of soccer, indoor, 
you know, faster pace, more cutting, sprinting, and then transitioning to outdoor and so forth. So yeah, you definitely have to mix it up. Yeah, it's interesting. Another observation I made being a, a Brit coming to the US is overall back home, you know, people will play football, you know, soccer at a you know, school level. And then usually when they when they transition out, they play pickup games or, you know, stay in a more local league. And you, know, you end up playing, you know, well into your like 40s and 50s, some people. When I came here, it was like there was this uber peak at the college or, or high school level, you know, where these guys are, you know, in, in the weight room and, and doing all these drills and, and getting to this high level performance. But you know, the ones that didn't make it, there was like a complete drop off then. And, and you meet, you know, 19, 20 year olds like, oh, I can't do anything anymore. I blew out my MCL or whatever. So, you know, what's your philosophy on on the sports that can cross over into adulthood? Because it just seems like there's there's this intense sporting participation in school and or college and then very little crossover post education. Yeah. And I think it, it's I think if, if you look at what's the demand if you're trying to, to play in a competitive league you you have to continue to move in those patterns and i think as we get further into adulthood and our, our time frame it shrinks like the availability to go out and just play kickball like play tag all these games that just naturally have you moving in these different directions you know your ability to find time to train it's so narrow and what you end up finding is like yeah it's either just running or just weight room material so it's very linear and you, you pull yourself out of those those multi-direction positions, so you retract so much, and then you don't you don't prepare your body to get back into that level of activity. So the the weekend softball or soccer, or, you know, rugby, all these sports which have you slowing down, accelerating, cutting, changing direction. You know, if you if you don't train those patterns, your body's really good at just getting rid of it. So if you're not using it, your body is definitely going to just be like, yeah, we're not we're not using that motion. Get out of here. So. You know, it's uh, it's sad to see because you'll see some injuries where it's like, man, you know, just even if you gave yourself like three to four weeks just to get your knees comfortable with moving and cutting and changing direction, you'd see like the ACL injuries, they would they would drop. But yeah, I think it's the expectation. You just have to like uh, it's I'm always about movement. So if you can stay moving, but just mix it up, you know, and just know if you're getting into a league, understand like it, is it is it highly competitive? Is it just kind of pick up? Because, um, you know, you, you got to prepare for for whatever whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that's an, an element that I've again my observation. But there's so much emphasis I think on on the on the route. You know, like you said, you know, you've got a kid that enjoys the sport. All right, well, you're going to be in the next you know professional league, and then there's this drive, and it seems like sometimes there's a disconnection between just enjoying playing a sport. You know, and no, 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 I'm going to be in the NFL. I'm going to be in the NBA. It is. It's a lot of pressure and. You're you're always you're always kind of on that that fence of like burning the kid out or you know making it to that to that next level where you're like yeah maybe maybe this kid does have potential and and if it's if it comes down to a paycheck and there's there's clearly talent there and the kid's different you know you, you do almost have to specialize but that specialization doesn't doesn't just happen like you're not just focusing on the 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 overhead thrower you know like the pitcher um there's a lot that goes into that that builds that kid up to be able to to, to sustain so there's you know strength programming there's obviously there's, there's physio there's nutrition there's recovery there's rest like there's all these elements that you know you don't really see behind the scenes you just kind of see this kid this very athletic kid throwing and pitching and you know hopefully he's doing well but yeah a lot goes into it and when when you see the specialization it, it is it is still around but it is geared more towards the kids that are probably separating themselves from the pack. Like they are showing 
uh, they're showing a skill that's that's at an age where yeah they, they, they can probably go to the next level. Yeah, and staying on that for a moment with you working with a lot of um, you know special operations and military men and women, are there any kind of common denominator sports that you think set some of the good candidates up for success when they enter the military? Um, I mean, a lot of guys play sports and you can see, you can definitely see the movement patterns when we start to break down some of the, like the dynamic movements we'll have guys prep and, and like cut and change direction or, um, just, just moving out of that, that little box. You, you do see the guys that played a sport, whether it was basketball, soccer, rugby, baseball, and then you, you kind of see guys that just, they enjoy to run. They just, they've got big engines and they like to go and they'll, they'll do whatever you tell them to do. They'll, they'll just go and give you 110% every day. So um, there is a difference. And I think it's just, it's, it's uh, you know, appreciating that these guys all do similar jobs. They have to wear gear. They have to wear the same equipment. There's, there's similarity in the movement patterns that the job will force them to do. The preparation for that has to be divvied up to where, we're, we're specifying, okay, this guy does not look like he's moving really well. Like there's, there's something going on in his knee, his hip. So maybe we'll slow it down for him. But whereas the other guy who grew up playing, um, clearly played a sport and knows how to control and move his body. Like, yeah, he's probably going to be able to progress and go a little bit, um, accelerated. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, rugby is a big sport. Like that's a real common sport. Football is obviously pretty popular. That's a, that's another common one. And, And I mean, you see it, you just, you just kind of see how guys can, control their body and they, they know how to move their um like move their weight around beautiful yeah it seems like from just from the interviews that the wrestling is another one that really um physically and mentally forges people absolutely like that, that was a third one i was like if there were three that was, that's a big one just i mean it's great it's, it makes sense like being able to control your body in space before you start loading joints and just going for these explosive you know high high weight movements Beautiful. All right. Well, then your journey into, um, you know, medicine, was that something that was a burning desire when you were in high school or did you find it later? Yeah. I mean, P- PT, I never had an injury, thankfully, in high school. I had a lot of friends who had injuries like ACLs and shoulder injuries in baseball and so forth. And, you know, you saw the progression, like you would see this relationship that was built where like a nurse or a doctor or like an, M- an MD, you know, you don't always see people at their best. And it was intriguing to me to hear how the relationship of the the PT you know, the PT, like showing up to the kids soccer match, uh, or baseball game was, was interesting. I was like, wow, that's look at that. Like that, that provider came out to, to see you through the entire recovery process. Like that was intriguing to me. So I know I wanted to work in a setting where you could, you could help like really kind of help walk somebody back to that high level. And I, I really had a narrowed down. I was looking at, a like physician's assistant and physical therapy. And it came down to the, like the night before registration, each course required a different physics. And I, I literally had like one of the providers, I, I, was, I was working as a tech in the clinic and I had her on the phone. I was like kind of writing out the answers to the questions. And then her husband was a PA. So he, she like, hands the phone over to him and I'm kind of like, okay, pros and cons. What do you like? What do you not like about the job? And it was a no brainer. Like on paper, I was like, oh yeah, I definitely, I want to do the physio thing. So yeah, I went to school, St. Augustine, you know, loved it. It was orthopedic based, sport based very spine heavy. So you graduate, uh, very comfortable treating the spine and neck. And, um, ever since then, I just, I feel like I've just kind of like fallen in love with the, the higher level kind of like tactical athlete because of the, the demand, but just the drive these guys have. Beautiful. Well, we, we were talking before we started recording, um, you know, when I've rehabbed from, uh, three injuries, my back and then, um, uh, meniscus tears on either side, 
Um, it's always been the same. Actually, it wasn't the same. There was, there was a different one in between, but I went back to the, the original one. But, um, you know, the PT here, I'm in, I'm in Ocala, not far from St. Augustine, a lot of older people. And when I went there, some, some awesome people that work there, but they're used to working with a geriatric population. So, you know, post injury, they're not looking to get them back to, to be able to climb a, a skyscraper with a bunch of fire hose and air packs. Um, so it was, it was very different. What, you know, what did your journey, um, how, how does someone that's looking to become a PT or looking for a PT differentiate between the person that I was being treated by and someone like yourself? Yeah. So you can see most of the facilities. If you, if you go first, I mean, first appointment, you'll see if it looks like a factory, everybody's there. I mean, it's just crowded. Everybody's sort of doing these low level, basic, uh, exercises, like not very challenging. A lot of clinics will separate themselves by the, the one-on-one time, you know, you'll notice just by the facility, the equipment they have. So if there, if there's any kind of, uh, you know, hex bars and squat racks and things like, yeah, you know, you're going to be dealing with some higher level athletes. It, it is tricky now because the, like with healthcare, there's, there's so much red tape with insurance. Some facilities are, they're, they're kind of handcuffed into how long they can treat somebody. So that, you know, they, they may, they may be one-on-one with you for a very short time. Then you get handed off to a tech, um, so I mean, where we work, we don't have insurance. It's we just treat. It's direct access. So we treat as much as we need to. We treat as long as we need to, which is very different. But you know, shockingly, it works a lot better. So you know, we can step out of those walls and talk to athletes. You know, maybe see somebody move in the gym on the turf. Like you can notice if you, know, you watch somebody move, you can tell. Okay, that doesn't look right. Talk to them before maybe they have like a blowout injury. Um, like you don't always have that on the civilian side. So. You, know, you do have to do a little bit of homework. Sometimes, if you call, like call a facility and even just ask, like, you know, what do you, what do, like, what do, what do you typically see a day? And, and if they tell you, like, oh, we see like twenty patients, like, well, it's like, okay, that's one provider treating eighteen to twenty patients a day. Like, that's not, that's not good enough. Like, that's not a lot of one-on-one time. You're not going to get uh, a lot of quality care. Like, you're looking for the places that typically, like, cash based now is a big thing because you get one-on-one treatment with a physio and it is you and that person for as long as it takes and they they will be able to do a lot more you'll get better quicker so there's not a lot like not a, as much fluff that you'll typically see when you have to play the numbers games with insurance yeah well i know the barrier to entry for me i think a lot of people listening is we're under the workman's comp umbrella um yep. so whether it's you know mental health but it's physical health you're not often looking at the best people and my my surgeon was fantastic and he actually used to train in my gym so i knew him personally and i i you know asked for him specifically but how it, are you aware of any kind of way of getting um a facility like yours approved by workman's comp or or is it pretty much going to have to be out of pocket by the individual yeah it's a good question it's it, it typically it would be to a point so but that's how most people um Cause I don't, I don't, I used to treat cash base on the side when I had a little bit more of time. And if it was something where we would catch it, it was like, a, like an acute injury. I would, I would treat like once a week, get them to a place where, you know, they, they were good. Um, if it was a surgery, <clears throat> I would say use your insurance to get the basic concept, get, get those lower level boxes checked. And then once you're functional enough to train, I think transitioning the, the like the back end of treatment is probably the best way to do it because now you're in a place where you can move a little bit more high level. The, the provider can push you a little further. Um, and that, that way it's not like the entire time you're, you're trying to figure out a way to like make ends meet because it can be expensive. And especially if insurance isn't reimbursing as much because you can submit it to insurance, but you know, typically if you're paying cash based, 
um, cash based physio, like they're, they're going to leave that to you. They'll kind of give you the, like the super bill, they call it. Um, so I'd say, yeah, if it was a surgical procedure, like early on the treatments typically the same, like you're, you're really just trying to get swelling down. There's, there's some tricks you can, you can do for that. But I think the education piece is, is pretty critical. So getting the understanding of do's and don'ts. And then once you kind of hit that higher level and you're, you're good to go, that's a, that's an easy kind of no brainer transition in my mind. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So with your journey from, you know, from school then, how did you enter the tactical space? So I had an internship and it was in Tampa. It was at the James, James Haley uh, VA facility, but it was in the outpatient section. And I think, you know, when you're in school, you're just kind of head down. I mean, you're, you're drinking from a fire hose. Like it is, it is intense. It's, it's heavily engrossed in the human body and, and just movement. So you're just constantly um, tasked with test after test after eval and, and lab work. So I, I had really no idea what was going on like in the world around me. And I go to this facility and here are these like young, young kids who um, have these like massive traumatic life-changing injuries from you know, Afghanistan. And you know, like you knew stuff was going on, but like you didn't hear about it. So to me, it was like, whoa, like this is still going on, you know, it's like shocking. And you know, I'm treating these guys and they're like, they're the, they're the most humble guys. They're um, hardworking, they're driven, they're, they're so appreciative of the help. And that's when everything just kind of switched. Cause I was like, I knew I wanted to work with like athletes to some level, but for me, like that was where it just clicked. And we, we tried to go on, like nowhere was really hiring at the time. So we, after we graduated, we moved back up to, to Maryland and we were waiting for the, the, you know, it used to be Walter Reed. It's Bethesda medical facility. Now they had hiring freeze that they had said was about to open up and they were going to hire some um, new positions and it, it just never happened. So a couple of years later, like they, they were never opened back up. <clears throat> and then I just came across this, uh, you know, tactical physio post on one of the, the PT, um, your job posts and I'm reading it. It's, it's like, well, this sounds really interesting. And I had no idea like who it was with or what it entailed, but it just sounded like everything I wanted. So I, uh, you know, I applied and you know, you, you go through a few interviews and, and you're, I mean, each, each interview you feel like you get off the phone and you're like, yep, well, they're not going to hire me. Like <laughs> they just, they just destroyed me. And then you, know, you get another call back and they're like, Hey man, like, yeah, you're, you made it to this, this phase. So, um, yeah, I went through, I think like three interviews was hired and uh that moved us down to north carolina and and i mean ever since it's just, it was it was the decision that i i was I never looked back you know i called my wife after the first day of work and i was like yep like this was the right decision it's like we're we're definitely moving to north carolina <laughs> so she was she was happy she she's from ohio and didn't really like maryland and i was in the same boat after living in florida i didn't really uh, understand why everybody was so angry and there's such like traffic everywhere. <laughs> Getting out of that environment was just great for our health in general. And then uh, the job is just icing on the cake because, you know, you just build such great relationships and it, it really takes away the, like the, the barriers of like that nine to five. And like you, you're not, you're not treating patients like you're, you're working with friends and, and family and it's, it's a great community to work in. Beautiful. And are you allowed to talk about who exactly you were training? Yeah. So I mean, like you're, it, it's like soft community. So we're in the kind of use to sock umbrella, but like you've had guys on before that I worked with directly. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically the U S army. So, you know, best of the best working with special ops and SF community. 
Beautiful. Yeah, well, I just want to put that out because that's what I was understanding. But, you know, that kind of frames now your experience and the kind of tactical athlete that you, you've worked with. Um, so I kind of want to start at the beginning then with movement screens. I heard you touch it, touch on it a little bit with the, um, SoFleet guys. Um, you know, but it's a big thing for, you know, the, the, first responder professions like initially when we walk through the door how are we able to screen them and you mentioned you know in uh, a little while ago about that one athlete that you know maybe isn't moving as well as they should so with you know the the operators that you're working with how were you screening them initially when you first saw them yeah so we'll do movement assessments just just on you know on the table we can put them in certain positions and then you know we'll use you know we used to use um gosh when i first started 2014, we were using this uh, system called the Y balance and you can, it's a lower extremity and they kind of have a, a little bit of validity behind it. So it, it's, it's good to compare you know, kind of right and left single limb stance, moving in diagonal patterns. And, you know, um, how does the ankle look when you load um, the, the, the single leg, you know, is there compensation through the knee and so forth. So we've kind of evolved from that and, and we, we kind of use a, just a couple of different, different templates, but a lot of it just compares side to side movement patterns and how they move like how they decelerate, how they accelerate. So like force plates, being able to see if they're landing off on, on one side, if, if they're favoring one side. And uh, a lot of it is really just on the table. You know, we check these these basic movement patterns. And I think this is where like social media really gets frustrating because there's all of this hype about like specialized training. And if you're going to be a gymnast, you have to you have to do this. And then if you're going to be um, like a pitcher, you have to do this. And, and like, I mean, we're human. So 80% of what we do in, in terms of movement, we all need to check those boxes. We all need to move in these specific positions. And then once you kind of master that, then maybe, okay, yeah, you can specialize in these little outlier, like third order effect type type movement. So, you know, if we're checking <clears throat> the ankles, well, we know what, we know what restrictive protective footwear does. It, it, it stiffens the ankle. So a lot of guys come in and they're stiff in their ankle. We know what happens if you're, if your ankle and your foot are not moving and not communicating you know, it overloads the knee, it overloads the hip. So we, we look at the big joints that are typically restricted during um, their career, which is your upper back, your shoulder, your hip, and then your ankle. And with most of these injuries, there's a backup, you know, your, your body's going to try to cheat some movement from another area. So the lower back's always an issue with the, with the hip being restricted. The, the knee's always an issue with the ankle and the foot. Um, shoulders and neck are always the issue with the upper back whenever there's kit or gear or any kind of uh, like ruck being worn. So like a lot of it is just, it's time. Like you have time to dedicate to the individual and put them through these positions. And I think that's where <clears throat> that's like the most important piece is just having that ability to physically like carve out time. It's not rushed. Um, so we can, we can get a kind of paint a picture and you can see if somebody's shoulders not moving, it starts a conversation like, whoa, what's going on here? And like, oh yeah, I had this surgery a couple years ago and like, okay, well, how are you doing? It's like, well, you know, it really bothers me, but I just pushed through. It's like, okay, that's not the answer. Like we need to, we need to fix that now. So, I mean, like I said, these guys will, they'll give you 110% every day. Like they're going to keep pushing and uh, it's, it's kind of our job to rein them in a little bit and, and keep them around longer. Absolutely. Well, you touched about the footwear. I want to make sure we, we address that before we move on. So that's something I've seen in, in my profession and, you know, law enforcement where, you know, we're asked to wear these steel shanks, steel toed, you know, super heavy, old, old Dr. Martin looking boots, you know, as, as our day to day wear. Now, these are things that, you know, 
law enforcement are going to be doing a foot pursuit in on concrete. This is what, you know, we're going to be running EMS calls on. And, and I've seen in my own feet and my own kind of, you know, health, how that broke, you know, my foot down, broke my posture down. And I've been working with 511. They've got some great products now that are a lot lighter, a lot more, you know, a lot wider, basically. So the foot can actually splay out as a PT working with a tactical profession. What have you seen about footwear and the evolution in the, uh, the military space? Yeah, it's gotten a lot lighter. So you'll see, and this depending on the, the the preference, sometimes they'll 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 go for like a heavier, like more supportive boot. But a lot of times it's it's lighter. So it does it it, it you know it'll still come up across, like above the ankle, or it'll, it'll protect the ankle from kind of the unknown elements. But um, I, yeah, I'd say <clears throat> lighter, more durable, not not as clunky. Yeah, it, it just gives your foot a little bit more room to move. Um, it's still restricted, so it, it it is still compared to like a ski boot in that regard, where it's you're just trying to protect the ankle from you know again being thrown into a position that could cause an injury. So it's more or less the like what are you doing after a long day of wearing those boots? Because that's that's where we have to get that space back opened up, or else it's going to stiffen up, and and over time that's what we end up seeing is you know like these horrific injuries from a restricted ankle that's just sort of fused itself over time. Yeah. So with the initial assessment, so you've got a high level, you know, um, man or woman and on the initial assessment, you found issues, you know, what's that, what's that discussion? What's that treatment plan whilst they're going through selection or going through, you know, training to, to address that issue right at the beginning? Yep. So we're, and, and that's where like we're given time. We have uh, a little bit of a buffer to focus on just shoring up some of these, some of these issues that they're, they're, they're coming in with. So if, uh, if we have this window, that's our time to like, maybe, maybe take the step further. It's like, okay, maybe we do need some films. Maybe we, we need to get like another doc involved, or maybe it's something we can just rehab for that time. So we, we work around it cause we can, we can still train these individuals and definitely still make them feel like they're, they're, they're working hard, but we're, we're not putting them in that same stress or the volume that's going to irritate those tissues. We're going to put them in positions that allows it to heal. So it really just comes down to modifying their program. So that's the the, the communication with um, you know dietitians and strength coaches and making sure like we're all on the same page and we're we're, we're not missing information. Um, but the professional aspect, like we're all in the same building, we're all talking every day. And if there are issues where we're noticing like an injury or something where it's 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 becoming progressively worse, like we we, we can we can do roundtables and and even get command involved and start to talk about like, okay, like this is what we're seeing. We need to, we need to kind of shut this down for an indefinite period. And then, you know, hopefully they're on board with it and we kind of meet in the middle and just try to do our best. But, um, the hard part is the, the world, the, the, there's, there's never a shortage of, you know, bad people in the world. So there's, there's like forever stuff going down. And sometimes like you're training these, these guys and they're in a good position and then like stuff happens and then they have to go or, you know, you're, you're trying to do what you can in the time frame, but it just never seems like there's enough time for recovery. You know, it's, it's, it's always the uphill battle we face. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's interesting because it shows an understanding that each, you know, soldier that, that is an investment. And so by taking the time and addressing issues at the beginning, whether physically or mentally, you know, you can then create a lot more longevity and a lot more efficiency in their performance versus ignoring that you know, having that kind of bums on seats mentality, um, and then ending up spending a lot more money down the road. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. And 
it, it is it's it's such an investment it's you know like they've, they've run numbers um i can't remember what year but it was i think it had been like six years or so since like one of the original hp facilities had been started and you know we've talked a little bit before we started it was it was like somewhere in the ballpark of like seven eight dollars a month is what what it was costing like the healthcare system to support these guys because you know you're you're preventing them from missing training and like well that's that's expensive like tra- training is, ex- is expensive these guys are already it's it, like they've, they've invested a lot of money into these guys so you know if they're missing training <clears throat> uh that's a big deal so yeah on the front end yeah we pay a little bit but once you get to that steady state point where there's there's a good rounded program there's understanding of of what needs to be done to kind of sustain them for longer durations you know you're just you're saving so much money on the back end Absolutely. Well, something that I've noticed has changed recently. Um, I had Alison Brager on from the army and she talked about it was the, um, the army combat fitness test and then the, the way they changed that from the kind of sit ups, push ups, pull ups to, um, you know, what it is now. So what, what have you seen as far as the, the knock on effects from that testing? Yeah, it's, it's been tough. So the, the problem is you take a movement, a skilled movement such as the deadlift, and now you're trying to mass produce this and just the equipment and the space to, to set that up. It's, it's a challenge because there's not enough education into training athletes up to, to proficiently just be successful with that movement. So, I mean, fortunately, it is a hex bar because that does make it a little easier to, to move through the, the movement. But um, that was kind of the, the, the catalyst for the performance manual I created because on one side, you've got you know, like the soft community that, that has access to all of this. They can ask questions. They can they can get feedback. They can they can basically run through this um, if they're if their sections even doing it. Some of the sections haven't really adopted it yet. But conventional side, they don't really have access to this unless now you're injured. Okay, now you can go talk to a PT. But um, it's really tough to try to take these high level movements and. You know, maybe you're taking a kid that didn't play a sport. Maybe they're they're really not into fitness. Their MOS doesn't really have them uh, specifically needing to do all of all of that high level movement, but they have to take that test. So yeah, you're you're seeing injuries already. And um, the goal with that that manual we created it's to just guide athletes through the movement. And first, you can self screen like should you even be doing this? First of all, see if see if your movement patterns are painful or can you just you know hip hinge? Let's start there. And then if you can, here's how you would train up for it because it's not, um, you know, going to train for a marathon by running a marathon. Like you have to move your body in different positions. You have to load yourself in different positions. So, um, yeah, it's, it is a better structured test. In fact, like the fact that it is forcing you to have like some more capacity in there, some, some different elements that are, are more applicable to the job demand. But yeah, in terms of the, the higher level movements, they are, they are already seeing some substantial injuries from, uh, from the test. Yeah. So kind of flipping in the, you know, the, the focus a little bit, you've got a lot of these men and women that are entering that are, you know, they're teens, like 17, 18, 19, um, you know, that are beginning to do these tests and enter, enter the army. Um, when you look at less developed nations where they're still using their body, I'm sure any, you know, a lot of those people would be able to walk straight in and be able to move move well during this test, even if they haven't quote unquote played a sport before. What are we doing in the Western world? Do you think that's creating a human being who should really you know, be almost at their peak by that point in their late teens to the point where we're not already not moving well that we can't, you know, um, get through that test without injury? 
I mean, yeah, it starts in you know elementary school, starts in the, the the programs that are removing physical fitness, and like that should be that should never be taken out of any program. But the the I, I just don't see the same amount of exposure to sports um, the way it was like growing up. I mean, yeah, video games were a thing, but I mean, I feel like devices have just changed everything, and you know, you see it more and more now. It's it's just it, it changes people's psyche. It changes their behavior. It changes just the way they think and more time on devices. It's putting you in these positions where like, you're not up and moving. You're not, you're not out and engaging with people. You're not, you know, building your tribe, like your little camaraderie because you're on a, you're on a team. So I think the devices are like, are absolutely an issue and they're, they're helpful. They do connect people, but it's that moderation. That's just, it's not in place. Like there's not enough education of like, Hey man, we need to, get these kids moving a little bit more like some kind of movement because yeah, like ankle ankle injuries are through the roof in that like 16 to 20 population. And it's just because they just don't know how to control their, their, their feet. Like they're just deconditioned. So, you know, if ankles are stiff and they're, they're not moving and they're not allowing those proprioceptors to, to kick in. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it makes sense if they're running in the morning when there's still, it's still dark out. Like, yeah, of course you're going to see all these ankle rolls. So yeah, I just don't think we move enough. It's, it's, it is sad to see. Um, but the, I, I mean, where do you start? Like, there's so many areas that that are at fault, but the lack of involvement in, in athletics, I think, is is playing a big a big part of it. Yeah. Well, another thing I see, just purely observationally, in a lot of the the teens now, the school age kids, is that kind of forward head carriage and you know the the rolled forward shoulders as well. So, do you do you see a lot of issues with being able to hold weight overhead with some of these younger men and women? Yeah. So if it's it, it, if you're talking about somebody that they just don't have it or they don't have the control, you know, we'll, we'll work on that. I mean, that's like a six month process, which would, is normal. You know, if it's a skill, if it's like a high level skill, it's going to take time. So we'll modify and put them in positions where maybe they're using uh, like a landmine press. So, you know, you're not going strictly overhead, um, but you're still pressing, you know, and you can, you can work on like setting the shoulder blade, stacking your hip, getting everything organized first. Like we'll, we'll start them in positions where, the threat is low. We're just getting them comfortable with what it feels. Let everything kind of start communicating. But you know, it's the same thing with with wearing kit and shooting and all these positions where you know your body is drifting forward. You're like you're leaning forward. You're leaning in, and the the weight distribution has your upper back stiffening up to be able to kind of distribute that that load. You know, we have to spend time getting that open back up. So uh, that's a big part of of any training. It's you know going into the gym. You really shouldn't think of like okay today's bench. I'm just going to start warming up with bench. It's like well. You probably either drove, you drove in, you're coming from maybe the range or somewhere where you're wearing gear, uh, or you were sitting at your desk. So n- neither of those are ideal for, uh, or any of those are, are going to cause disruption in the, the, the force distribution through your shoulder and neck. So, you know, we have to open that up first. We have to get the upper back loosened up. And I think that's where like programming, a good program, it lays it out. And it, it just shows these, these athletes like, okay, here's, here's the, the task, um, now we're going to walk this back however many weeks or months and we're going to start here and then we're slowly going to kind of ramp you up until you're ready for it because it isn't something where it's like you come in and like the workout is, you know, 40 overhead presses. Like, well, everybody's doing 40 overhead presses. It's like, that's, that's like not good enough. We need to, you need to be able to, to specifically change based off of the, the, the way that human moves and the way that athlete moves. Uh, Cause you have really fit guys who, you know, they, they know they can throw weight overhead, but if they had a couple of shoulder repairs or if something's going on where, you know, they, like the arthritic change is not going to allow that. 
that's that's a disservice if we're forcing them into these positions regardless. Absolutely. Well, Tim Kennedy was on here and he, he mentioned this with Joe Rogan and asked him as well about the pool of candidates. So no better time to highlight, you know, the ill health of, of the nation than now when we are very, very aware that 70% of our population is, you know, obese or overweight. But his, it was an interesting take because he was saying, well, that's also a, you know, the pool of, of candidates for special operations is smaller because we have less men and women to, to select from because we've got more and more people that aren't, you know, conditioned. So what have you seen as far as that? Has, has, have you seen any kind of change as far as the, the number of good candidates that have walked through the door? Honestly, no, fortunately, because I think about that all the time and I'm, I'm like waiting for the, the year where it starts to, it starts to look like it's, changing and no i mean you you just you see guys come in and they're they're the same like they're young they're fit they're they're energetic um they're ready to go you know which is good so i've i've i am aware of that i i look i look at that every year and so far no i mean it's thankfully beautiful well Talking now about maintaining, because that's that's the thing with with the population you work with, with you know my my profession and the uh, sister professions, is you know we have to look at ourselves as tactical athletes, but there are many many things stacked against us. You mentioned, for example, the the carriage of weight. When you look at law enforcement, they're sitting in their cars, they got their belts, they got their vests. You know, with with my profession, we're we're in our SCBAs. So you know, you on the diamond, I've always said we've got a lot of pretty motivated men and women that are in pretty good shape mentally and physically but it's you know how the hell do you you keep them that way and you look at the 10 15 20 year firefighter or police officer you know more often than not there's a pretty severe decline in physical ability and in overall wellness as well and you know as i've talked about over and over again the the shifts are definitely part of that big part of that to me so with you having these these high level men um that have made selection and are now you know through the door what is your philosophy on a, a, a phrase that i heard you use in a different podcast injury reduction rather than injury prevention but but keeping them operating as long as possible for you know and, and as strong and fit as possible yeah, it's, it's a lot of it's volume control. And, you know, I think it just goes back to like what, whatever their training is. If, if you can even just educate them on the, the impact of having like, like a hypertrophy phase program where there's a lot of volume, but then maybe their, their training for the job is also very high. That's, that's a lot. Like the bandwidth is not going to be able to cover that. So and I don't mean that as a challenge. That's not to like tell anybody to be like, Oh no, watch it, watch this. But you, you see, the training for like recreational or just fitness that can, that can almost cause the issue because it's, it's eating up what the body should be able to kind of use towards the, the real job. So I think volume control is a, a big deal, but the, the communication of just being able to kind of talk and having that buy-in to where the guys will listen, like they'll understand that you're like, you're looking out for their best interest. So like you're, you're not trying to hold them back or make them look weak or anything. It's, it's that understanding of like, we're trying to, keep you keep you around for the long run but also if you want to go run around with your your grandkid like that's you know these are goals man like we're trying to trying to keep you the like the longevity is is now the big deal it's not just like let me let me go harder faster stronger it's <clears throat> it's longer so you know the communication but from the physio standpoint it's it's having that access to care because as the demand goes up it's like you, you, you guaranteed you're going to have to talk to a physio at some point. And that's normal. I mean, that is, that is just the way it works. If the demand on the body is high, there is going to be 
a higher risk. And sometimes it's, it's, it's inevitable. There's an injury, but if you can get the, the care quicker and start that recovery process and put the body in the right place to heal, which is really like all we're doing is we're just trying to create this environment for the body to just heal itself. You know, guys bounce back. Um, they feel better. Like they're just mentally, they're like, okay, yeah, I feel, I feel good. I didn't feel great yesterday, but two days later I'm, I'm, I'm feeling better. So it's, it's everything. It's just, <clears throat> it's really that buy-in, but, um, it, I mean, it all plays a role, but I definitely think the communication is, is a big part of it. And what about, um, the, the balance between performance and let's say, you know, age or, or ability where, you know, in, in the CrossFit space, for example, you know, there's a big focus on PRs on, on, you know, doing, bigger, stronger, faster than you were before. Um, but obviously in our space, I've realized that there is a, you know, there's a point of critical failure where we just do too much and the recovery obviously is getting less and less and less. So how are you able to keep these operators from, um, you know, overtraining or, or, um, you know, deliberately tapering, deliberately plateauing so that they're not getting to the point where they break? Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it comes down to buy-in and, you know, the, nobody's like not, it's not like um, a sport team or even like collegiate level where they have to train. Like it's, it's, it's volunteer, like it's optional. So they don't have to come in, but you know, you, you have these conversations where you look at numbers and um, you can look, I mean, you can always look at like numbers, like blood work and, and panels and see how they look and, and just put them into these performance parameters where you're testing again, you're kind of like testing the, the force play you're testing uh, like VO2. So you can you can tell right away like what they're doing is either working or it's not but that's where like periodization is is very very important with training because you you go in every week if you're going in and you know you're just running through the wall because that's all you've ever known mentally that's great but physically like that doesn't last so you, you have to kind of ebb and flow this and understand like it's okay to go in and you know deadlift 40 percent one week um give your body like sort of that that recovery and then the next phase you're going to ramp it up and oh and like now you're stronger than you've ever been and your back feels great whereas typically it's just like heavy 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 um you know like to get into the like anatomy and physiology like we know what happens when you compress your spine too long there's there there are like micro fractures that occur and it's normal but if you don't give your body that ability to recover or if you don't remove that that compressive heavy stimulus for long enough it turns into a really big deal so you know, essentially like stress fractures when you when you hear about people running and like shin splints it's it's the volume's too high in like a short period of time so um it is it is a little bit of that like not cliche but the smarter not not harder like you are trying to be smart about the training for the long run and most of the guys who who have had to have physical therapy or if they've worked with coaches they understand that and you know they're in like they're they're all in so it works out but sometimes it does take a little bit of time to kind of create that buy-in yeah. Well, especially again with, with our professions, there is no, you know, delo. There's no time off. There's no off season. You know, we're constantly every third day we're, we're there. So, you know, even some of the special operations, you know, people that I have on the show, you know, that they're training for the next deployment, you know, so they have that time where they know they're not going to be on the battlefield for a while. Um, but it's, it's such a, uh, you know, a hard, um, thing to kind of plan for and, and, uh, undulate training for when we're constantly on like there is no off season at all yeah that's it like it's i think that's where i look at professional sports and and they've got this team around them at all times like basically reminding them like tracking everything for them and then you take this uh organization that doesn't really have an off season and then 
most of the time they don't really have much at all. <clears throat> and it's just sort of like, Hey, you got to figure this out and you know, hopefully you don't break down and you know, good luck. And you see that on the conventional side quite a bit, but I think the, um, like, that's like obviously like nutrition and, and recovery plays a big part, but what, what we will utilize quite a bit is the blood flow restriction implement because if somebody is in a, a phase, even if it's just like a phase of a course that we know is high demand, even if like sleep is down, like they want to go do something, they want to go in and just feel like they accomplished something. Cause a lot of these guys, like that's, that's cathartic. Like working out is their, their meditation. Um, we can run them through a very low volume, low level, you know, very quick, efficient program with blood flow restriction and boom, they're out the door in 20 minutes and they're, they're, they're fresh. They're good to go. They didn't use up much, much space at all. So they can still go and train. So it does come down to kind of using some of these tricks that, that luckily we have access to. Is it the be strong device that you use? We, so we have those, we will use those more for uh, just like deployments or if, if you know, guys are training off offsite, but uh, no, we use the, the Owens recovery, the Johnny Owens, because they're like, there's only two in the market that are um, FDA approved because they're, they're built in, they have the, the, the Doppler built in. So you can truly track like blood pressure and, and, and everything else. So the, um, the B strongs are good. It's funny though, like if you ever use B strong and we, like we had those at the, the first facility I worked and we would max those out <clears throat> and we're like, I don't know, man, is this too much pressure? And then when we switched to the, the Johnny Owens version, you know, the, the B strongs maxed out were like 50% of what the, the Johnny Owens device could do. So it was a, it's a big difference and, you know, it's challenging guys love it. Cause it's, you know, like they're, they're, they're feeling the burn and it's always challenging for them and it's, it becomes competitive. But, uh, the research on that is it just, it just keeps coming. It's, it's, it just gets better and better. Really? Well, I had Dr. Steve Gunnison on from, you know, from Be Strong. And, uh, one of the things that I found interesting, you have to tell me what you've seen is obviously you get the pump, you get this, you know, the, the less wear and tear. You've got to use a lot less weight, you know, to get the same effect. But he said there was that global, um, inflammatory response too, which sent the, uh, you know, the, the healing mechanisms globally around the body. And to me, that seemed like that would have a good, um, you know, that that would apply very well to many of us broken athletes to to fix some of the swelling and inflammation. So, what have you seen as far as that? Not just locally at where the the cuff is, but globally. Yeah. So you're. I mean, you are treating the entire body. Like you're not. You're not necessarily giving them that feel of a pump. Like you're you're triggering growth hormone release. That you know, kind of pituitary release from the brain. Because you're you're essentially tricking the body into thinking that it, it has just works like max capacity. Because by like partially including that venous return, it's it's building up that kind of metabolic stress. So that's where like protein protein synthesis is going to increase, the growth hormone is going to increase. So like post-op, like yeah, you know you can't start loading somebody in these aggressive positions that build strength, um, but <clears throat> you need to start targeting strength because quad atrophy after an ACL repair after two weeks, it's almost like twenty percent. It's 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 very destructive. So that's that's where you just you you plug in some. Uh, you know, BFR training and you diminish that pretty quickly. So it, it doesn't always have to be an injury. You can, you can phase this in and out of programs based off of volume. Like I think for first responders, it's a no brainer Like you can have, you, know, you pick two upper body movements, two lower body movements. You could cycle you know, the entire station through in like 20 minutes and you know, they're going to feel smoked. Like they're going to feel like they did some work, but you know, you have them work on tempo. So the, the speed isn't real fast and ballistic. It's like, you just kind of create that time under tension, let them feel that burn and the growth hormone effect they're going to get from that is is incredible you know so it is it's a, it's a great product it's it just seems like like i said it just doesn't seem like the 
um, research is, is stopping. Like there's just so much good that comes from being able to implement that. Brilliant. That's great to hear. Well, another thing that, you know, I know affects, um, you know, a lot of us, especially as we start aging is mobility. Um, you know, and, and again, I know this, there's the whole stretching kind of avenue that people go down, but then I subscribe more to the kind of, you know, addressing muscle imbalances to create mobility in that joint. What is your philosophy on, you know, maintaining mobility in the aging athlete? Yeah. So, and, and you just, you just start small, you know, you don't, you don't go for these crazy end range positions. If it's not there, don't force it. Um, you know, I've seen some pretty, pretty gnarly injuries in the hip and shoulder because somebody, you know, read or watched a video and they saw that they were missing, uh, like end range flexion overhead and they started just crushing it and tore their labrum, you know? So it, it, you should never save all of this type of mobility stretching for one day and, and just crush yourself on that, on that day you want to spread it like you have to spread it out. So every day there should be some form of recovery. I mean, talk about mindfulness and sleep prep and like what better time to just hit everything than like right before you go to bed, like work on, open up your hips, like open up your ankle, open up your, your upper back, get the ribs opened up, breathe better. So yeah, we use a lot of mobility drills. We do a lot of training with just increasing the movement in the joints, like the ball and socket joints are, are critical to movement. So we have to get the shoulders and hips moving and, you know, rotation, like rotation will dictate how well that athlete squats, deadlifts, pushes overhead, you know, kind of pushes and pulls. So, um, from a provider standpoint of PT, like we, we look at rotation very heavily because if you are missing those components, then it's going to show up with other, other movements. So, you know, just, just know that all of this stuff is, it's, it sounds flashy. And, and, you know, sometimes the people on social media who are demo, like demonstrating the movements, like they're, they're just, they're very flexible. So they're going to make it look easy. Um, your goal is not to like, mimic that person. Your goal is to just start to kind of drift towards that direction. Like try to stretch, try to, try to work on some of these basic, basic concepts until you get to a point where, you know, like, you've got it. Okay. Now maybe you don't need to focus on it as much, go to another area. So, um, yeah, I think like highlighting those basic movement patterns <clears throat> and starting there and then, and then later kind of progress it, but always start conservative. Don't, don't be overly aggressive. And especially if you're, if you're getting like sharp, pinching, sh like sharp numbing, anything that's starting to show up like in the joint of the shoulder, like running down the arm, like numbness and tingling. When you start to feel that, like that's, that's your point to back off. Like you're going way too far. All right. Well, you touched on sleep as well. So that's something that I, you know, the, the dead horse that I flog almost every single conversation I have with anyone who's, you know, versed in the, the wellness space. Um, with your high level tactical athletes, what's the importance of, of sleep and rest and recovery with them? Oh, it's, yeah, it's everything. <laughs> you know, it's it like the, the nutrition and recovery slash sleep, like that's two thirds of the equation. So, yeah, like the, the training is, it's important. It's, it's obviously a big part of it, but you know, we like, obviously like Doc Parsley's spoke to this like very well. I mean, he lays it out very, very clear. Like what happens to your body when you stop reaching those, those, uh, you know, eight hour mark, seven and a half to eight hour marks. You know, you, you have to, you have to build that in. Um, I think it's, it, it, it develops over time, like the person will develop a pattern where they can kind of, they, they can kind of tell where, yeah, they're going to start to notice they're going to feel a little foggy. Like they're, like they're going to, they're going to have these movement breaks, breakdowns. And usually that's accompanied with an injury. But I think the sleep debt and being able to make up like the power naps and these other things like using, we have a recovery room, you know, and like using these facilities where you can go in and just, um, 
hook up to Normatex and then boom, 15, 20 minute nap, <clears throat> get a little bit there and then you, you can make up for it. So uh, I, I don't think it's this like all or all or nothing where you didn't get your eight hours, like shame on you, slap your wrist, like you're, you're done. It's like, well, let's see if you can make that up through the rest of the week. And then definitely on the weekend, you know, and then if there's a, like a really, a really hard underlying issue of why this person can't fall asleep or if they're just noticing that they're just, they're not getting the sleep they need. Uh, I think sleep studies are unutilized because sleep apnea is a huge deal. So before somebody is given a pill and they're starting to go down that, that rabbit hole, um, they should be getting a sleep study to figure out like, okay, maybe it's sleep apnea. Maybe there's something causing this disruption in sleep. So it is, it is critical. I think that's probably what we focus on more than anything is the recovery aspects. Um, you know, even just getting the breathing down, like not just running right from the gym and then just like sprinting to wherever you're going, like give yourself those five, 10 minutes and just recover, do some like supine lying breathing and see if you can get your rib cage to expand, get like, get out of that fight or flight because I mean, you guys are really good at, at ramping up. Um, that's, that's what you're, that's why you're in that profession. That's why you guys are good at your job, but you have to be able to give your brain and your body the ability to just get out of that and, and like no better way than just working on like some, some mindfulness and breathing five, 10 minutes, just get out of that fight or flight because it, it builds up over time. Absolutely. Well, staying on that for a second with, you know, with your background and the, the audience that you, or excuse me, the, the, uh, profession that you work with, um, Explain to me the relationship between um, sleep deprivation and injury. So we're talking about chronic sleep deprivation now. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and part of it, 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 like any higher level organization like this, you're going to see it as part of the selection process. Like that's sort of part of it because you could show up and be very fit. You, you clearly you can clearly hold your own physically. Um, but those guys aren't always the most successful either. So you you do see this pattern where. Uh, I can't remember if like, I don't know if Josh or Jason had spoke on like their selection process at all, but it's, it's, it's pretty grueling. It's pretty long. It's, it's, it's testing way more than the, like the, the physical capacity. It is like that mental piece. So you have the mental fortitude to sustain it. I think that's what it kind of is broken down into. So you'll see, you'll clearly see guys come back from selection and different types of training for, uh, or, you know, um, events where, um, they're right on the brink of an injury or they had an injury. And then you, you just you use that back end to, to try to recover and, and give them as much time as they need to get back to where they need to be. But that's where it's like, if, if I were in charge or if a physio was in charge, you know, it wouldn't go well, like our special forces and all, like they probably wouldn't be as special because we, we probably <laughs> pull them from some of these training events. Cause we're like, no, that's too much, man. Like that's too much. They need to recover. But it's, it, it is, it is why they're there. Like they're, they're really good at what they do and they can kind of block out a lot of this extraneous pain and, and distractions and just focus on the task, you know, even if it is like breaking their body down. So yeah, you'll always see that correlation. Fortunately, sometimes it is just part of the process. It's just on the back end, we end up using the recovery, you know, a little bit more heavily. Yeah. But I mean, as far as over a career though, so when, when, when we're sleeping is when we're repairing. So if you are taking your profession seriously and you are training, but you are not able to get sleep every third day, that is going to add to, you know, to not if, but when you get hurt. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah, spot on. 
Beautiful. All right. Well, then I want to talk about Thor 3 for a second because I know it's come up a couple of times in conversation, but I think it's it's so good to hear of a program that takes care of its men, you know, and it's something I think that should be mirrored in, in our professions too. So so tell me about that and, you know, who who gets to use it and, and you know, the ability to get them back in the field. Yep. So they – and what's good now is even since the the startup of Thor, like so they, they've kind of changed it to just HP, you know, kind of human performance, but – when they initially started, they were trialing to see if supplying the soft athlete, the the you know soft soldier, the ability to kind of have direct access to a dietitian, strength coach, uh, physio, um, cognitive performance, having access to these providers, like does that change their longevity, their performance? And it absolutely does. And now so much to the point where now conventional units are getting the same element. So they're, they're actually hiring now. Uh, it's called H2F. So it's holistic health uh, and fitness. And it's a PT. It's an occupational therapist, I believe. It's an athletic trainer, strength coach, dietitian. So they're starting to embed this concept in the conventional as well, which is great because that, that's I mean, really all, all along. That's where it should be. Uh, and it, it just, it, it, makes, it makes the job easier for everybody because we can treat athletes before the, the injury occurs. We can communicate hit every single element that's going to impact their success. So uh, cleaning up their nutrition, having a well-rounded multi-direction type program that's going to move them in different patterns. Uh, and then if there is an injury, yeah, we can be right there to, to, to see it before they have to go through multiple visits with other providers before they finally reach us. So we have that direct access. <clears throat> you know, we're all communicating. We're all working with the same athlete, moving in the same direction, but it just makes the the overall soldier, sailor, marine, whoever, it makes them um, better. Like they're going to be, they're going to move better. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be less prone to injury. But obviously, you know, high high demand activities, high demand job. If there is an injury, we can get them started way sooner. And that absolutely is the difference between quick recovery and it's a long drug out recovery where now you've got compensations and secondary issues and, and so forth. So uh, it's good to see that they're finally catching on because for a while there, it just seemed like, all right, like, what are, what, what are they waiting for? Uh, you know, this, this is clearly working. Are they going to branch this out like they said they were? So it's, um, it's good to see it's finally starting to make its, make its way around. And again, I'm assuming that there's a, a visible cost savings as well through this. Yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not billing insurance. So this is just basically we're doing whatever we need to do. And we have direct access to the docs as well. And you know, if I need to order an MRI, I can order an MRI. So you, know, you, you take off, you, like you just take all of these barriers. And even I'd say even like the, the surgeons are, they're so humble and they're, they're surprisingly like the last person to recommend surgery. Like they're, they're not going to take a, a, a patient and, and say like, yeah, definitely let's just, let's just go in there and just, you know, we'll just fix it and then start them up. Like if, if there aren't specific findings with even like a meniscus like if, if there's not a mechanical block where it's it's catching or locking um they're gonna they're gonna recommend pt all day but even if there was surgery they're gonna say you know get your butt to pt asap start start training so it's really good to see that understanding that some of these surgeons on the civilian side like the, their surgery is, is is everything like that's all you need once they go in like boom you're fixed and you know that person might have had a meniscus repair and they're running two days later and it's like yeah, you just undid everything. So the communication across the board is, I think, is what works because you don't have these just segmented providers working 
by themselves, just thinking what they're doing is, is, is all the, the athlete needs. Like we're all communicating. Um, if we do need to reach out and, and get, get more insight because the con- conventional, like conservative treatment we're, we're applying isn't working, you know, we can do that, but the, the respect is mutual on both, both sides. Yeah. Well, that communication thing, that's, that's kind of brought up some memories of, of my treatment plans. And it's funny because with my meniscus, it was locking. So I'm glad that you said that. So I probably did need surgery. <laughs> One of them was like jammed between the tib fib. Um, but you know, that being said, I remember there was always this, this really drawn out gap between the initial assessment, the secondary assessment, the first MRI, you know, the, the, uh, doctor looking at the MRI schedule, you know, and it was just like weeks and weeks and weeks before you finally got, whatever. And I had to be very aggressive with my PT. I was the same as you were saying, like, in the meantime, let me, let's, let's start rehab, let's start prehab. Um, you know, how, how important is it to minimize that to the point where you have a, a diagnosis so you can start moving forward either with surgery or with, with, um, PT? Uh, it's, it's, it's everything. And that's, that's the skill of, I mean, like we go to PT school to learn how to evaluate the body and you see all of these novelty devices now where it's, like this, this percussion instrument or like this scraping tool, like all of these, these like kind of like devices that, yeah, they, they, they kind of feel good, but the skill is, should you, like, should you be implementing this on your own? Like maybe, maybe you should talk to a provider and see first, like, is there something else going on? And I think that that ability for us to treat somebody in the clinic, like we can, we can tell if somebody tore an ACL, if, if somebody tore their labrum, if, if they have structural damage in their body, I mean, just the mechanism of injury, just listening to the, the client, the patient, as they talk to us about it, like we can figure it out and then we'll do some testing and, you know, we don't necessarily need to order films. We can start treatment right away. We can do all kinds of different uh, um, interventions that start that ball. Like, let's get the swelling down. Let's, okay, let's start protecting that knee. Here's a, here's a brace. Like, I don't want you doing this or this. And in the meantime, we'll, we'll kind of set up a consult with the the orthopedic surgeon. But up until that point, we're going to start rehabbing. And it is like, it, it's that, it's an understanding that the body is good at healing itself, but you know, movement is medicine. So we're going to just take you into this different direction, take the load off of those structures. Like, yeah, maybe give you a crutch or two for a few days, but yeah, we're absolutely going to work on swelling reduction. We're going to get you moving. We're going to start some blood flow restriction. So, um, yeah, I think like that skill for me, it's, it's, we don't really use films and MRIs just randomly. Like we don't, everybody gets an MRI. I mean, there is, there is a reason for it. You know, you don't want to go searching for something and plant a seed that maybe now, now this person sees, uh, unfortunately they, they see this, you know, tear in their knee, but they don't have knee pain. <laughs> like it's, it's something that's not even part of the issue, but now they're, they're fixated on that. So, you know, there are cases where we're using an MRI to, to, to decide, okay, is this surgical or not? But in most cases, I think we just realized like, yeah, these, these athletes can move, like they are, they're willing to do the work. And as long as we're not causing harm, which we know will establish through the evaluation. Like, yeah, we're going to start rehab as soon as we can. Right. Well, you mentioned about the body knowing, um, you know, wanting to heal. And that's, that's something that I've, you know, observed myself. Like, you know, before we came up with a lot of these pills and potions, the body just did its thing, whether it was, you know, a virus or whether it was an injury. Um, what is your philosophy on, and I'll just say my personal example, like when I, when I hurt my back, um, it was immediately anti-inflammatories and painkillers and, you know, throwing, throwing drugs, at, uh, traumatic injuries. So with this pain and swelling through pharmaceutical, um, you know, control, what's your, your philosophy on that? Uh, we, we try to avoid it if we can. And sometimes they'll, they'll use other medications that don't have the, 
like the negative effects that like ibuprofen and Motrin has. So movement is a big deal. Like we'll put them in opposite positions. So if it's say they bent over and maybe felt like a pop in their lower back, you know, we're going to put them into extension. So they're, you know, they're going to lie on their stomach and maybe kind of arch their back. We'll put some pulse current, uh, like Mark pro H wave type devices to help flush some of that inflammatory uh, response, get that out of there. Um, walking just being able like if we can get them up and moving and walking it's it's movement's going to be the, the the treatment but it's going to be movement specifically to offload whatever tissues are are damaged you know so uh stereotypically if it, again if it's that person that rounded their back too much when they were squatting or deadlifting or picking something up <clears throat> i'm not going to put them in a, a child's pose position and really kind of force that lower back stretch we're going to take the stress off of those ligaments those structures move in the opposite direction and then you know we have the ability to kind of give out equipment so if we have to hand check these uh okay here take this home for the next couple nights i want you to wear this a couple times during the day i want you to come in every day we're going to work on it just starting that process of healing and letting the tissues get get a chance to just rest you know because if it's if it's serious enough that you know command is going to is going to want them to get better they're not going to tell them to you know you have a job to do so health is, is ultimately the goal so they're, they're good at understanding if something is serious and giving us the ability to actually treat. But yeah, it's like if medication is absolutely necessary, we can, we can sort of defer to the, the docs on, on that, but it's usually not, it's usually getting the person moving, but in the opposite direction or in the position that doesn't provoke whatever it was that caused the injury. Brilliant. Well, you mentioned backs as well. That's, that's one of the most heartbreaking things to me is I've, I've got so many colleagues that have hurt their back. And again, they were like kind of fast tracked to surgery. And they said they tried some PT. I don't know if it was the right PT or if it was, you know, what we were just talking about, the, the geriatric clinic that, you know, isn't, isn't thinking about sports medicine. But, um, you know, I was very lucky. I ended up finding foundation training, which really was the, the game changer in, you know, avoiding surgery and getting my back, you know, healthy again to the point it was stronger than before. With, with, you know, what you've seen with these young men, um, what is your observation on the, the number of injuries that we are able to rehabilitate when it comes to back injuries without surgery? Uh, I mean, it's, it's hot. Like we, we do have a, a good success rate. I don't, I mean, it's, it's rare that we do see the lumbar fusions. Sometimes you'll see the, like the discectomy where somebody has to have the, portion of the disc kind of uh, lobbed off whatever but i think a lot of it is coming back to knowing the like the recovery of if you are in kid if you are running around with gear what that does to your hip and your upper back so if we can unlock those areas and then take the pressure off the lower back that's ultimately what 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 you, you know again it's, it's education so just teaching these guys how to do it on their own because <clears throat> i mean that, that instability is there like there is so much instability in the cervical spine and in the lower back just from from taking those areas that should be moving and forcing them to just lock down, you're forcing these stable positions and these stable joints to move more. So that instability, you know, it might show up as like, Oh, my back is tight. I just need a manipulation. And like the person that can kind of crack their own neck is a perfect example because that's, that's an instability. Like if you're able to crack your own neck, that means that joint is moving way too much. So, you know, we, we get other areas to, to move and open up and then it takes pressure off the lower back. And then we kind of talk about, okay, what's your programming like? Because if you're deadlifting heavy every week, it's like, that's not ideal. So, you know, we, we, we utilize, I mean, crawling in the quadruped position. I love it. We all use it. It's, it's extremely humbling and it's funny to watch 
these top level athletes get into these positions and they can't dissociate like arm and leg movement. You just see their whole body shifting and you see their back twisting and rotating. And it's like, see, like there's the problem. Your hip doesn't know how to move without recruiting from your lower back. So yeah, you clean that up, you get these movements broken down to where they can start to do those on their own. And then you just save them a lot of time, like potentially several visits, you know, to either us or even a, a surgeon. Cause the, the, the spine surgeries are, it's, it's terrible. It's like, gosh, it's like a third, get better, a third, don't change it on a third, get worse. You know? So it's like, if you gave your body that time, like if you just pretended you hear all the time, it's like, pretend like you had surgery today. Like what would, what would it look like? You know, take four weeks and just recover, give your body that time to recover. <clears throat> you probably start to feel a lot better. And that's what some of the surgeons say. They're just like, you know, I don't think the surgery was the fix. I think it was the the fact that now they have to focus some time on recovery. Like they physically cannot go and move because they're in a sling and now like they're going to rehab. So they're, they're getting some nutritional uh, advice. They're, they're getting some of that recovery. And, uh, you know, they'll say like the, the easiest surgery is, is trauma. If it's like a broken bone or something, cause you know what the problem is, you just go in and fix it. But, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll perform these like high level procedures for the cuff and the, 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 the slap tear, like the labrum in the shoulder. And, you know, he, he jokes about, they come back and they're, they're talking about their pain and he's just like, ah, I, whatever I fix wasn't the cause of the pain. So like, so now what, you know? Yeah. That's, that's so interesting to hear as well. Cause I had a conversation with one of my friends, um, who's going through this at the moment. And I think one of the things, just like you're saying that changed for me is I was offered, um, kind of, uh, part way through the recovery to do light duty. So basically go back to work and sit at a desk and file and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I refuse and you, you get the opportunity to refuse, but you just make less money. But, you know, my thing was while I'm rehabbing, I'm rehabbing. I'm full time. I went to a chiropractor. I was going to PT. I was doing foundation training. I was working my way up from a PVC pipe back up to, you know, where I needed to be in the gym. And that was a, that was a full time, you know, um, uh, workload. So sitting in a car and commuting back and forth an hour and a half to go sit at a desk, you know, it, to me, that's, that's working against your recovery. So I think that when people do get hurt, we need to understand that this is, it's not going to be easiest. You are an athlete and you're recovering, you know, from this and go watch some ESPN footage of your favorite, you know, athlete rehabbing their injury. They're not sitting around watching TV or working at the ESPN headquarters while they, uh, <laughs> while they repair. <clears throat> yeah, that's a fact. It, it is, it's not, it's not enjoyable. There's never a, you know, a, a good time to tear your ACL. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, high risk jobs have, have these higher, higher risks, but it, it's, it's a process. You take it day in and day out, you stay committed to it and just know that over time, like it will, like it will get better. Um, you know, we used to see the ACL research come out where they, they would try to force like the accelerated ACL protocol and, trying to get people back to running it like four months and five months, which is, which is crazy. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter what you do it at, it, it, like at any point, it's going to still take like nine months for those tissues to properly heal. And then even an additional three to six months based off of the, like the mindset. Cause if you're apprehensive, now you're dealing with that fear avoidance and, and you know, you don't want to go and sprint or cut or jump out of an airplane again, like all these things that you don't think about. You just think like, oh, I just had the, the tissues in my knee were, were fixed. Like when can I start running, you know? So it is, it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it. You know, when I always tell people, you got to be prepared to get that, 
worst ever fire, you know, worst ever incident the day you get back because there's no guarantee it's not going to happen. And you, you talked about the, the recovery. That reminds me of one of the, the sports uh, injury classes I took in college. Um, and I'll never forget this. The, the professor said that the pain goes away from an injury at about 80% healed. Um, yeah. Is that something you've seen too? Because it, it sends to me, it sends a false impression of, of, of that we are ready for duty. Yeah, there's a lot of gray area, and it is like it's 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 definitely subjective, person to person, and like pain levels and scales play a big part. But yeah, when when pain stops, especially in the ankle, like I think that's that's an area where pain stops. So the person's like, "Oh, I'm good, man. I'm I'm ready to go." And like you still have micro tearing, and a lot of those proprioceptors in the ankle have no idea how to control that movement. So like the chronic ankle sprain is is such a common thing, and uh, each one is like worse than the the previous. But yeah, like you you really have to be careful with getting that false sense of, of like, I'm better. <clears throat> like, here we go. Pain's down. Let's go. Um, cause that's like, you're right on that fence, like one bad move and you're back. You're going to, you're going to re-injure and usually it's worse. Yeah. Now what about, um, stem cells? Have you have, what's your experience with those? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, there's a lot of stuff that it's thrown out there as, yeah, it, it, it can help. We think it helps. Um, I mean, PRP is, is a big deal, but the problem with PRP is if it's not ultrasound guided. So a lot of facilities will use PRP as like a, they, they're, they're kind of touting it as like a fountain of youth, but if they're not even just using it, ultrasound injections and to understand like where it's going, it's, it's not going to do anything. But I'd say PRP and prolotherapy, which is another one, it's just like a, a lower grade um, injection that creates a mild inflammatory response. So it's, it's, it's good for like chronic tissues, chronic injuries, creating an environment where the body starts to heal itself essentially. So <clears throat> those are probably the, 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 the two most common. There are some newer ones coming out, but I think there's just apprehension because the problem with some of these injections, like they haven't been out long enough to see what they're actually doing because I think stem cells will mimic the tissue that you're, you're treating. So the, the hope is that they're mimicking these you know, satellite cells, these like healthy cells that help with healing. But what if down the line, like they metastasize or something like there's, there's no real kind of clear cut answer. So I think in the lane of, like, yeah, stem cells still kind of this outlier, but uh, PRP is very popular. And, and again, surgeons are going to say, like, you could get all the injections in the world. It doesn't matter because if you don't go and actually train with a, like a PT and rehab it and, and kind of work through some of that, um, it's not going to matter. You're, you're like, it's not going to help. And that's, that was always interesting to me because one of our docs worked in a facility that was like more conventional. And he would perform these PRP, which is a platelet, platelet-rich plasma, in case anybody's wondering. It's um, basically centrifuge your own blood, pull out the plasma, re-inject it into the site where there's you know, trauma or injury. And <clears throat> he'd perform these procedures and send them right to PT, but then the wait list for PT was like four to six weeks. So these people wouldn't, they wouldn't even get the benefit of the, the procedure, whereas here, you know, like he'll inject and they're in the same day if, if, if need be. So... You know, it comes back to like PT is definitely in the equation, but it's it's never too early and it's never too late to talk to us because it's it is a it is a valuable asset. Yeah. Well, you say never too early. I meant to ask you that before. So, someone who's not experiencing pain but just understands the the preemptive nature of you know a good PT program, um, you know, when should someone come and see you, and what should they be looking for on that visit? Yeah, so it's up to them if they want to just look at movement patterns from from uh, like limb to limb. The like the 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 number of tests you can open up to a, a client is endless. It just depends on what you're looking for. Is it power? Is it is it 
control? Is it um, joint mechanics? Like, you know, you can do full body screen. We do that all the time. But uh, I, I, I honestly go back to that primitive, like the primitive, the um, pre-screen kind of self-check portion of the manual that I created. And it's like, can you just move in these positions? Does your hip rotate in this position? You know, start there. Because a lot of times, like if you, if you just work on this, like 80% of the issues that we see kind of come back to these, these basic foundation movements. So if you can get into these positions or if you don't have these positions and like, yeah, you have back pain or knee pain, like start here because a good physio is probably going to tell you to start doing this. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of times you can self-treat and then if it's like, yeah, if it's clearly traumatic or if there's something sketchy going on that could be more systemic or like a red flag and yeah, go talk to a provider. But uh, I mean, it really depends on like what they're, what they're training up for, but I like to use stability. I, I, I do a lot of stability testing because I think, you know, moving a joint into a position to see what that integrity feels like. If it's, if it's, if it feels stiff or tight, uh, yeah, that we can tell if it's guarding or if it's actually truly stiff, like kind of in the joint. And I think a lot of times when we think we're chasing an actual mobility restriction, it's, it's a guarding pattern. So the lower back constantly being tight. Um, like tightness around the knee, these, these are usually red flags. Like the body is trying to guard and protect itself from some stressor. So if we can kind of peel that away and test the stability and, and like, okay, yeah, look, man, like that's why like your hip is very weak in abduction. So it doesn't have a lot of control with decreasing that amount of femur like rotation. We can start there. And then usually the, the, the tightness goes away. Um, the upper neck is constantly one where somebody feels like their upper trap is just always locked and it, it's guarded where you upper your upper trap is going to compensate when your head's tilted forward where your head's tilted forward when your upper back is stiff you know and that that happens when you're wearing gear and kit so you know we unlock those positions and then turn on the lower trap and it'll naturally turn off the upper trap and you know like that kind of becomes homework so that's like your recovery if you're sitting in a cruiser all day or if you are wearing gear and a helmet you know yeah, it's interesting. My my right leg has been um, supinated for a while. I've been working on some some different, you know, again, foundation training and some yoga to try and overcome that. But do you set, tend to see an outward rotation of the hip when there's a knee injury? Would that be guarding too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it depends too. Like if, if we did a movement assessment I'd, and I'd have you squat and have you do some like single leg, single leg stance and then like kind of rotating your body because it, it's, it's common to turn your feet out when you're you know, your Achilles and your ankle is stiff because instead of having that like dorsiflexion, the ability to just pull your toes up toward your face, if you're missing that, you turn your feet out and then you sort of circumduct and you kind of swing your leg outward. So yeah, like with the history, like maybe you had ankle injuries or if you've got just compressed stiff ankles, which that, that would, that would make sense to me just with your career. Like, yeah, I would, I would try to see if that's an issue, but then yeah, definitely going into the hip and seeing is, is rotation an issue. But um, like, yeah, little things like that. Like when you watch people run, like you can tell, like if they're dragging that trail leg, you can tell if there's, if there's some missing rotation in the hip or if the ankle's the issue. Brilliant. All right. Well, I got one more, one more area and then we'll go to some closing questions. But with the, the training side, you know, the one thing I've, I noticed and, you know, people like Julian Pinot really opened my eyes to some of this is doing CrossFit for 14 years now. It's, great for so many reasons and i you know i love a lot of the the functional stuff the rope climbs and things like that but i did notice that there was no kind of 
uh, load over distance really in, in a lot of the programming that we were doing. So I added, you know, the, the sleds and sandbags and that really became the core of a lot of the training that I gave to, you know, the, the men and women that I trained at the fire stations. Um, what are some of the, the exercises you think that people don't think about that add, especially, you know, rotation and some of those things, um, that, that you think are missing in a lot of people's uh, routines that contribute to their injuries? Yeah, I mean, even drag the drags, like the one arm carry, <clears throat> excuse me, sled pushes and pull. I don't think people think enough of like that. That's a great solid position because you're in the mid, like you're in the mid range of the joint. So that's where you're strongest. So ideally, if you're pushing or pulling, you know, your work capacity is up, but you're you're taking away some of that threat if you're just going constantly going from top range to bottom range in a squat or a deadlift. But I think just manipulating, like using one kettlebell like one arm um cross body movement so like lateral step ups crossover step ups just you know, stepping out of the conventional bar just the the straight bar the the dumbbells um you know we were designed to move in all of these different positions where there's rotation to the trunk so putting your body in a way that you can you can kind of drive through your hit but then you're also like throwing your arm across your body so creating that force to expose your body to rotation before you end up, you know, decelerating and cutting and turning and then your knee gives out. So <clears throat> I think speed and, and weight are good areas to manipulate. So I don't think you always need to lift heavy. I think you could just go through these motions very slow and controlled and just work on tempo. And then as you get better at it, then you kind of add some speed. But yeah, I mean, it's, gosh, man, I feel like split squatting is, is one of my favorites. Like, the re like rear, rear foot elevated split squat is one of the most athletic positions you could you could train. I think the quadruped position is probably one of the best positions you could train. Um, we just did a post on using the ab wheel and how to progress that. And, you know, it's, um, it's humbling, you know, like these positions where we should have full body stability, but yeah, it depends on what you have access to. If, if like med balls are a thing, getting that rotational force, being able to drive through your hip. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of just single arm, single limb for sure. Beautiful. And then what about, um, you know, like kickboxing, uh, throwing uh, punches and kicks to a bag? Are you finding a lot of benefit rotationally from that too? Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's, it's, um, it's a good mix. I just, you have to be careful. Like if you're spending a lot of time in the, in the gym setting where you're not opening your body up to those positions. So if you're just kind of doing like your traditional, almost like a Jim Wendler 531, like you're just squat, deadlift, press, like those are good. Those are, those are good in phases depending on what your goals are. But as you start to get into more dynamic activities like jujitsu and being able to roll and move, you want to make sure your training is mimicking that too. Um, I think like landmines are great because you can transition from kind of like a one arm. I mean, like you can't see me right now. I'm trying to <laughs> screen, but yeah, it's like you can transition body weight from lower to upper pretty quickly. Like you can rotate through your hip and then use your arm to kind of drive that barbell overhead and that's a, I mean, it's a great movement for anybody that's transitioning force from their lower body to their upper body so you know i think it's just, it's, it's being creative but just uh, don't feel like you need to be going crazy with anything like doing the single leg squat on the kettlebell handle <laughs> like overhead squat and like some of those like i remember that was a really big thing in, in, in like the 2010 time frame and saw some gnarly injuries from that so uh yeah i mean obviously i like i'm a big fan of multi-direction movement so Beautiful. And then just one last area before we go. Um, what about mace work? Have you done much with that? You said uh, mace work? I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm familiar. 
Okay, so just the 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 big. So it's it's the steel bar with the the kind of what looks like a kettlebell on the end, like an old mace, like a weapon, and they do the oh. rotational stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, um, we don't no, we don't have any of those. We do have the the like the fat bells, which are pretty popular now. It's like the kettlebell, but you reach, you basically reach into it, so it looks like a almost like a punching glove. Yeah, uh, those are great. Like, yeah, we we like those a lot. Like, there's a lot of good work. You can you can kind of get your shoulder into a better, more stable position than having to fling the kettlebell and let it bounce off your wrist. So there's, there's uh yeah, there's definitely some tools coming out. And I think as you work your way up, like they, they do have a place for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. I think Soranex calls them the center mass bell, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. All right. Well then um, I want to transition to some closing questions so I can let you get on with your day. Uh, the first one I love to ask, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be related to what we've discussed today or something completely different. Yeah, so I do like it's an old one, but the um, the book Deep Nutrition I think for me was pretty eye opening in, into the the world of what the billion dollar market of the food industry is and and how it, it, it can be very misleading. And a lot of these dietary issues we're seeing now in our culture. I think that was a that was a really eye opening book. Pretty long book too, so uh, I did the audio, <laughs> but it was it was worth it. That's a that's an eye opener. And then uh, I'm I'm sort of at the tail end of Chris, Christopher Winters. It's, um, uh, oh gosh, I cannot think the name of the book, but he's a, he's a doctor that came and spoke with us a few weeks ago, the sleep solution. And it's just an interesting take on how he approaches sleep and, and how he helps his, his patients and, and clients and athletes work on improving their sleep. So he kind of ties in the science behind it, but uh, just kind of talks you back off the cliff, so to speak, and just makes you understand like it's okay. Like a lot of people struggle with this. Like it's it's normal. Let's let's just kind of chop this up in the smaller digest uh, digestible pieces. So that's a good book too. Brilliant. All right. Well, then, what about a film and or documentary? You know, I have not. We have not watched anything recently. The I think the one, the Voice of Freedom, is one that I've I've been meaning. I've heard a lot about it. I'm 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 interested to see it. I have not had time to see it yet, though. But it's it's basically the like the human human trafficking epidemic that uh, it's just not spoken of enough. But it's it's a real thing. It's a it's like pretty serious issue, and it's it's it sort of sounds like an incredible. I've heard podcasts with the the gentleman who started the foundation, but it's sounds like a pretty incredible movie beautiful yeah i've had um uh, nick mckinley from deliver fund and then uh tamia naj who was actually trafficked when, when she was in hungary so two very interesting perspectives on that topic yeah it's 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 amazing i don't understand why like of all the contention in the world like that you would think that would be a unifying topic that would probably make a lot of sense to people to maybe maybe kind of target this so yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's, it's it's incredible Absolutely. Well, it's bizarre because you hear these conversations of these, you know, crazy, um, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know where it comes from. I'm, it's not in my radar, but I've heard, you know, people that I'm friends with talk about sucking adrenal glands out of children and all this stuff. And I think that's the problem is if, if there's these outlandish stories, I mean, I hope to God they're not true, but, you know, it, it kind of negates that middle ground, just like we're seeing with COVID now. We've got the two outliers screaming at each other and the middle people are like, hey, can we just work on wellness? Well, it's the same, right. way, I think, with sex trafficking. Yes, there's an issue. I don't know if it's adrenal glands, but regardless, let's, let's support these men and women that are out there chasing these shit bags and take care of it. 
Sure. Yeah. It's like we're still talking about kids, you know, it's just incredible. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, then the next question, is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Yeah. So, and I, you know, I didn't, I'm sure he wouldn't have an issue. I didn't get a chance to ask him beforehand, but um, yeah, his Instagram page is machine.nc. It's Nick, big Nick uh, Lavery. He's, well, I worked with him a few years ago back when we were in the same organization and uh, incredibly, incredibly talented individual. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll see his story all over. He basically was uh, involved in a, an incident overseas, lost his leg and so I'm lucky to be alive essentially, but he is, he is just an absolute monster. And I think I, I, I kind of hold him accountable for a lot of the, the things I've learned about the, the human body and, and, you know, PTs, I think we're a little too apprehensive sometimes to kind of push our patients. We're just sort of afraid to, to, to break whatever they had fixed. And with Nick, man, it was, it was so easy to just test out some of these, these positions and, and load him up and, and he was all in and we were just trying to do as much as we could in the short time to kind of help him get back to the team. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, he told me a ton about just being able to bridge that gap between the, the table back to like the squat rack, you know, and he deployed and he's, he's been killing it ever since. And after that first deployment, he had a photo that I still have on my desk and it's just basically him all kitted out. And it's like the Afghanistan backdrop. It's like, it's like a it's awesome photo. It's, it's motivating. So yeah, he's a solid guy, man. He's, he's, he's a, He's a really good dude. Absolutely. Oh, it sounds incredible. What was his handle again? Machine? Machine.nc. Uh, .nc. Beautiful. And, and he, he lost a leg and then ended up deploying again? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, wow. he's just, yeah, I mean, you talk to him and um, he, he's, yeah, he's an animal. He's a, he's a good guy. Beautiful. We'll have to make that happen. Thank you so much. All right. Well, then the next question is, um, what do you do to decompress when you are not, you know, taking care of other people? Yeah, it's a lot of time with family. We, you know, fortunately we have a lot of trails and just, we can go outdoor and, and there's plenty of places around here where like, like weather's not really an issue. It's always, it's always scenic and nice. And, um, yeah, music, man. Like I actually grew up, my, my brother and I were, we were actually, we were DJs before, before I kind of decided to go into the PT world. And, you know, it was, it was all kind of like reggae, soca, conscious music. And, like that scene to me, it's, it's nostalgic because it was such a unifying scene. Like it didn't matter who you were, like where you came from, like people would come together and like you meet new people and I, I'll I'll listen to music and it's just reminiscent of those times when like life was a little simpler, but yeah, I, I, I love, uh, just listening to music. Beautiful. Did you ever go to reggae Sunday at the conch house in St. Augustine? Yeah. Oh yeah. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. So we, I used to DJ a little bit there when I got to PT school, DJ, uh, Raga, was was the he's like the local local dj there and he let me take over some of the nights where he like he couldn't cover and um that was one i never did but we would always we would always cover some of the other facilities and you know it was fun man i just got to a point where like long nights and early mornings and um i just i just got to a point where i just like this isn't fun anymore this is brutal so i had to hang it up but but yeah it's a, it's a great city for for reggae man like it's just scenic and puts you in that mood you know yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's such a it's such a cool little town. Um, yeah. All right, so for people listening, uh, where can they find you on social media, and then where can they find you as far as websites? Yeah, TB Physio, both. So tbphysio.com, and I, I'm only on Instagram. Um, TB Physio on Instagram as well, and yeah, you can send me a message on either the. Uh, I mean, 
I'm, I'm on there a little bit each week. I'm not, I'm not heavily on Instagram every day, but I try to push content that I think is applicable and, you know, advantageous for our population. Absolutely. Well, Theo, I want to say thank you so much. It's been a great, great conversation. I really appreciate you, you know, take being so generous with your time, but learning from, you know, what to me is a very easy parallel through the military. Some people don't seem to be able to find that as, uh, as obvious as some of the messages I get, but you know, what you're doing with, with the army totally pertains to, you know, law enforcement, to fire, to corrections. So thank you for educating us today and telling your perspective. Yeah, man, James, I really appreciate the time. Thank you.